Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. Uh, We are about halfway through the first month of the season, so we're going to dig into some 2019 breakouts or potential breakouts that we mostly believe in, and in some cases not. But before we do that, I did want to talk quickly about some StatCast stuff that you can find if you know how to find it. Uh, Sprint Speed leaderboards for 2019, they're cool already, like, we're never really sure how far into the season do you need to wait for that to be meaningful. Um, but if you look at the top 10, right, Byron Buxton, uh, Adalberto Mondesi, Garrett Hampson, Trevor Story, Delano DeShields, Ahmed Rosario, Kevin Kiermaier, Ronald Acuna, Richie Martin, Keon Broxton. That all makes sense to me. Uh, two of those names stand out. When I tweeted this, every Met fan in existence said, Ahmed Rosario is that fast? He always seems slow to me, which I thought was interesting. I don't have a good answer for that. Obviously, these people have not been listening to our show because right. we've been talking about Ahmed Rosario being sneaky fast for, oh, you know, two years now. Right. And um, uh, I thought it was interesting. You know who is nowhere near the top of that list? Um, by the way, the name you're looking for, Billy Hamilton, is 15th. So he's basically up there. Uh, D. Gordon is like 175th at league average. And I can't quite tell if that means uh, he's actually slow or just like one of those two early things and he hasn't had enough opportunities. Like, I sort of think it's maybe the first thing because these names are great. And at the bottom, it's already, you know, Pujols and Yonder Alonso and a million catchers. Um, I don't have an answer to that, but I'm going to look into it more because it's weird. And I will say he is leading the American League with seven stolen bases and he has not been caught once. Right. So it's not like the speed isn't playing. It's very weird. I don't quite understand that. And the other thing I wanted to point out uh, last night, Clayton Kershaw made his season debut. And uh, my friend Daniel Broom tweeted this out. It's another thing that's cool, but I don't have a good like reason for it or if it's meaningful. He, last night, had the highest fastball spin that he has had in any start in his career of the StatCast era since 2015, which is also kind of cool. It's not like his velocity was up, uh, but the spin was up. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's meaningful, but I thought it was a cool thing. It's certainly something worth modern- monitoring, right? Because we know Kershaw's lost fastball velocity. That's not a secret. So it's entirely possible that he said, okay, I'm going to try to tweak my grip and maybe try and change the the movement on my fastball to compensate for the loss of velocity. It's hard to do. Um, and again, I'm not saying that that's like the next big thing, but it's kind of like a weird thing to notice uh, and to pay attention to. I do want to start with Fran Mil Reyes. And I know we've talked about a you know gigantic Padres power hitting outfielder before, and Franchi Cordero hasn't really panned out yet because he got hurt, although I still believe in Franchi Cordero. Fran Mil Reyes, I believe, has arrived. Uh, there's a bunch of different reasons for this. You might have noticed, by the way, the Padres are in first place in the National League West, they are uh, 11 and 7, I believe, about a half a game above the Dodgers, or uh, excuse me, 11 and 8, a game above on the Dodgers. Um, Reyes, if you remember last year, uh, came up and didn't really do much, right? He came up in May, got demoted in July. In that time, he hit 221, 270, 423, not super impressive. He comes back in August, and from when he came back in August to the end of the season, 318, 385, 548, he talked to AJ Casavell, who is our Padres.com beat reporter, in August, and he basically said, when I was in AAA, everything was quiet, and I was good. When I got here, maybe there was something in me that was trying to show the people, trying to show the fans the power I have. I tried too much. It was about trying to slow down my game a little bit and be a little quieter and react. That's kind of cool. And he crushed the ball the rest of the way. And so far this year, depending on how you look at such things, he's either been great or disappointing. What, Matt, is your reaction to a 222 533 line. Uh, that's a pretty good ISO, is what I said. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, yes, I would agree with you. Uh, 
what's kind of fun about that is if you look at his expected weighted on base, so that's like our our preferred offensive stat cast metric because it accounts for both quality of contact, exit velocity and launch angle, and amount of contact, walks, and strikeouts. His is 499. That is seventh best behind some names, uh, behind Mike Trout, Cody Bellinger, Gary Sanchez, Anthony Rendon, J.D. Davis, who we're going to get to, uh, and J.D. Martinez. But if you look at his actual weighted on base, it is, uh, it's only 331. So when I wrote this morning about 10 guys who are sort of underperforming their expected lines, he's number one. He has a 154-point gap, and I think you're already seeing it. He's hit, I think, three homers in the last six games. Uh, the Fran Reyes experiment is go. <laughs> yeah, last night he, uh, he had a home run to the opposite field with an exit velocity of 112.5 miles per hour, and I jumped into one of our uh, nerdy slack rooms, and I said 112.5 to the opposite field. That has to be one of the hardest hit home runs to the opposite field we've ever seen. And sure enough, it was. Uh, Andrew Simon, our friend, looked it up. Uh, it is the eighth hardest hit oppo home run we've tracked since that cast began uh, in 2015. As you can imagine, Giancarlo Stanton uh, is number one. Um, it's an interesting mix of names. You've got Jorge Alfaro, Mac Williamson, Justin Upton, Joey Gallo, Giancarlo Stanton again, Joey Gallo again, and then Fran Mil Reyes just ahead of Aaron Judge, whose hardest hit oppo home run is uh, 112.4 miles per hour. So obviously, you don't need to be a superstar to hit an opposite field home run uh, that far as uh, that hard, as evidenced by you know Mac Williamson. But it is shows some interesting strength. I looked at the largest improvements from last year to this year in terms of expected weighted on base. Again, it's two weeks into the season. This is going to be small sample all the way. Uh, Fred Reyes has improved from 331 to 499. That is an improvement of 168 points. That is the third best in baseball behind Cody Bellinger and Gary Sanchez. That would make sense. Do you know who he's tied with for the biggest improvement? It's not fair. This shouldn't be possible. It's Mike Trout. <laughs> I know Trout's been hurt. I know he hasn't played a ton of games. Uh, but is, if he actually gets better, uh, I don't know how you can improve on what we've already seen from Mike Trout. I really wish we had uh, – we could look at, like, Expo from 2004 to see what, like, Barry, Barry Bonds, Bonds. – Like, to see, like, hey, what is, like, the, the peak of essentially what is possible? Right. I have to imagine, like, I mean – I'm going to look up what his Woba was that year just for uh, – uh, It was a, a trillion, as I remember. <laughs> uh, while, 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 we, while we have this here. Uh, but I have to imagine that like, he'd be finding like, essentially what, the, what the, uh, the absolute peak is. It was uh, 537, which actually did – he had that Woba twice in 2001 when he hit 73 home runs. And again, exactly in 2004, which is sort of comp- considered like peak Barry Bonds ridiculousness. So like – that's kind of what I think we'd be th- thinking that Mike Trout could p- potentially approach this season. Uh, back to Reyes, he is interesting because obviously he hits the ball very hard, right? His hard hit rate is 44%. That is well above the major league average of 37%. But what I like the most is his strikeout rate is low. 14% strikeout rate, the major league average is 23%. And what's really crucial about this is that, of course, it's good to make contact. But you have to make good contact. Do you know, uh, and Matt, you might not know this unless you've you know been following me on Twitter, which perhaps you have today. Who, which team has the lowest strikeout rate in baseball offensively? Padres? No. Astros? No. What is it? It's the Angels. Huh. The Angels make the most amount of contact, but but the Angels' offense is terrible, right? They're, they're like weighted runs created plus is uh, 85, and that's including Mike Trout, right? So outside of Mike Trout, it is really awful. It's good to make contact, obviously, but you want to make very good contact. And Fran Reyes is, so I'm in, I think, on the Fran Reyes train. I know I was in on Franchi Cordero last year, too. And it's kind of interesting, though, because he's on this Padres team that's off to a really great start, sort of doing it the opposite of how you'd expect, right? The pitching's been pretty good. They have, believe it or not, the fifth best pitching expected weighted on base. The top 
two teams I don't think will surprise anybody. Number one is the Astros. Number two is the Rays. That makes a ton of sense. Um, number three is the A's. Number four is the Reds, shockingly. Because, More on that later. Yeah, but that's weird, too, because we all thought the Reds would mash and not be able to pitch whatsoever. That hasn't happened. And fifth, tied with uh, the Pirates, who've had a fantastic rotation so far, are the Padres. That's really interesting. Meanwhile, the Bats, their expected weighted on base is 21st. And um, part of that's going to be Eric Cosmer, who, off to a 203 271 297 start that's bad and ian kinsler with a 263 on base uh the outfield's been pretty good slugging 510 as a group renfro's been slugging and obviously reyes and you know will myers has had a, a kind of an interesting start to a season i don't think the padres are better than the dodgers but they're off to a better start and also they should sign dallas keigel i think the idea of padres as legitimate wild card contender is sort of uh gaining a little bit of steam I, the dodgers are just so much deeper but uh, I think the, the Padres are certainly a team I could see having a winning record. And have the, the thing is, they've got prospects coming up. And, of course, they have the ultimate X Factor, who just came up is. last night. I'm going to cede the floor here. <laughs> Luis Perdomo, my friends. Returned to the majors last night. What uh, happened? Well, he did not just return to the majors. He returned to the majors in style. Granted, the Padres lost the game to the uh, Rockies. But Perdomo, in relief of Joey Lucchese. Is that a pronounce it right? Yeah. Um, two innings pitched. Three strikeouts, three ground ball outs, as is his specialty. Only one hit allowed. A cheap, cheap triple blooper down the line. Um, Twenty-eight pitches, six singing, six swinging strikes. A maximum maximum exit velocity allowed of eighty-four point two miles per hour. Granted, this was against the Rockies, who, as a team, I looked this up, have a weighted runs created plus of thirty-eight. That, I know, is, that is not a typo. I know some Rocky fan will say WRC plus doesn't adequately account for course field, and they're probably right. Uh, but also, like their bottom five and expected weighted on base and and weighted on base, and we thought this was a lousy offense even before Daniel Murphy got hurt. It's it's not a good offense. It's going to keep them out of the playoffs. Yeah, they, I looked it up just for context. The lowest uh, weighted runs created plus in a non-strike season since they uh, lowered the mound in 1969 is the 2004 Diamondbacks at 74. We lost like 110. They got the number one pick next year and got Justin Upton. I think right. it was a 51. I think they were 51. And 111. 111, that sounds right. So, uh, yeah, that's what the Rockies are working against. But back to back to Perdomo, because um, you know how we often uh, talk about how we look up leaderboards and he just sort of shows up on them? All the time. So last night I was watching the Mets game, and Noah Syndergaard was giving up a lot of base hits. And I've always noticed, particularly in the last couple of years, it seems like Syndergaard has this weird thing where people make hard contact against him. He has a high bat bip, even though he misses a lot of bats. It's almost like – so we've talked about this with Craig Kimball in the past, too. He's either missing bats or giving up hard contact. Yeah. So I wanted to look up – Okay, who has the highest BABIP since Noah Syndergaard entered the league? So I went and looked up 2015 to the present. Highest BABIP, Luis Perdomo. Believe it or not, 340. Followed by Nick Pavetta, 335. Willie Peralta, 329. I believe it. Michael Pineda, 327. John Gray, 326. But now he has Machado at third, Fernando Tatis uh, Jr. at short, got Eric Hosmer at at, uh, first base. Luis Perdomo relief ace, it's happening, people. I'm just so happy for you that you got to jump in with the Luis uh, Perdomo bit. And then quickly before we move on, you just reminded me of something. Um, we're not going to dive into Nick Anderson too much. Do you know what team Nick Anderson's on? The Orlando Magic? Uh, see, that's as someone who hasn't followed the NBA since 1996, that was my first thought as well. Uh, no, he's on the Miami Marlins. Uh, well, maybe we'll talk about him in depth another time. But he's interesting because I noticed the other day he has a 99th percentile strikeout rate, striking out everybody, and a first percentile hard hit rate. So if you make contact, which you can't, you will crush it. 
And I just thought that was like the weirdest dichotomy. So maybe we'll get back to him uh, another time. Another young breakout player who I'm pretty sure I'm buying into a little more now than I was a couple weeks ago, Yuan Moncada. You may remember him uh, as the centerpiece of the Chris Sale trade. He is currently hitting 323, 364, 565. That is a 152 weighted runs created plus where 100 is league average. Um, last year, he was actually like average-ish, like it didn't look like it, right? A 235 batting average, a 315 on base isn't much. Uh, he also had 217 strikeouts. That is a lot. A lot of strikeouts. And uh, it's kind of fascinating. So he's cut his strikeout rate, you know, down from 33% to 24%. That's cool. But last year, the way he struck out was really kind of fascinating. It wasn't because he was swinging through everything. He had 85 called strikeouts. That was not only the most in baseball last year, even though it was. It was the most in the pitch tracking era Going back to 2008, we've never seen a guy get so many called strikeouts. Do you know how many called strikeouts Yohan Mankata has so far this year? I don't. Zero. Wow. Not one. He has not allowed himself to be called out on strikes, and that's fascinating. Um, our colleague David Adler had written about this a little bit before the season started, and part of it was what happened on the edges of the strike zone, which we define as the area within a baseball's width of the zone boundaries. Uh, 137 of his total strikeouts and 60 of his called strikeouts came on those edges, both were most in the majors by an enormous amount. And what that kind of meant was last year, uh, if he managed to end the plate appearance before he got the two strikes, he was incredible. He hit 400. Uh, that was better than Mookie Betts or John Carlos Stanton. It was the 20th best of 310 guys with 100 such plate appearances. That makes sense. He hits the ball hard. He's, he's a productive hitter when he makes contact. When he got to two strikes, he was doomed. Uh, when it ended on a two-strike count, he hit 110 which was the 14th worst of 364 hitters. Uh, that's really bad. And the uh, resulting gap of 290 points was the sixth largest in baseball. And he talked about that. He basically said at the end of last year that he was going to go uh, to Arizona and spend a lot of time working with the White Sox hitting coaches. Like he had identified this as an issue. And so far, I think we're starting to see the effects of that. Like he's swinging in the zone more often. In the last couple of years, uh, he would swing at about 62% of pitches in the zone. This year, he's up to about 70%. And his hard hit rate is way up from 35 to 44 to 53%. Uh, and I thought this was kind of interesting. This is a little outdated now, but it's fun. Uh, this is from Justin Havens, who also works with us at MLB. At the time of his third home run last year, Moncada had 28 strikeouts. At the time of his third home run this year, he only had 10 strikeouts. That's cool. Like the White Sox rebuild has gone generally terribly um but if it's gonna work you need Moncada to be a big part of it i mean i you can say it's kind of gone terribly but then again i think Moncada's for real Eloy jimenez looks like he's gonna be for real yeah there's some there's definite like i mean kopech getting hurt really set them back but i mean i'm a believer in Moncada. i remember being in the futures game in san diego a couple years ago when he homered and he was like the guy yeah um that just kind of you know the 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 skills the athleticism the strength are all there the package is there i'm not surprised he's sort of Figuring it out. So you think uh, he's going to keep this up or something similar to it? I think he is. Yes, I think he is a an above average like all star. Give me an all star caliber player. Oh, that's interesting to think about. He might actually be the White Sox all star because uh, like Cano is no longer an American League second baseman. All two he's, he's playing third now. Though. Oh, you're right. You're right. He's playing third. Okay. Well, I guess that changes things. But also, the White Sox don't have a ton of all star options. I guess at this point, although Colomay's Colomay's pitching well, isn't he? Well, I was going to say um, first base in the American League is just like a death trap. So maybe if Jose Abreu has even like a half decent season, uh, he could get there. So uh, I agree with you. Now this one was really weird. Matt Boyd, who I kind of forgot about. I believe he was in the David Price trade from Toronto to Detroit a couple years ago, and he has never really been that interesting. I guess I just don't think about him all that much. 
Uh, Matt Boyd, so far, has the second highest strikeout rate in baseball. He is striking out 40% of his batters. That's second behind only Blake Snell. Matt Boyd's fastball, 90.6 miles an hour, which I think is really, really interesting. If you look at the top five expected weighted on base, so with a minimum of 50 plate appearances, that's 134 pitchers. Number one is Blake Snell. That makes sense. Number two is Luis Castillo, who I'm actually going to talk about next. Uh, Three is Colin McHugh. Four is Tyler Glasnow, who I am super in on the Tyler Glasnow experience. Oh, indeed. 100% in. That trade, because now Austin Meadows is like crushing, um, that trade is going to be one of the biggest steals we're going to talk about. for And Chris Archer's not bad, right? But this is an enormous steal, and Matthew Boyd is fifth on that list. It's, it's no question, as an aside, it's no question a steal for the Rays. That said, Archer's off to a fantastic start this year. Yes. So it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where if Archer pitches well for a couple of years, it could mitigate some of the effects of it. It sort of reminds me, it's a, it reminds me a little bit of the, um, the, uh, the Will Myers Trey Turner trade. Where like yes, the Padres will certainly regret that trade, but the fact that Will Myers has actually played pretty well for them, it's sort of like, eh, like yeah, we probably didn't do so well. Granted, this is two players, not one, but when I when I tweeted something, well, I guess they did give up Joe Ross, but he hasn't really yeah. turned out. Uh, the Pirates fans re- replied to me like, yeah, but uh, Glasnow probably wouldn't be doing this if he was still a Pirate, which it doesn't reflect well on Pittsburgh, but it's kind of true. Like he's made obvious changes with the race. Anyway, back to Matt Boyd. How does a guy? who throws 90 miles an hour, uh, collects so many strikeouts. And I, I, I think this is really a fascinating story. So I just read this this morning. Uh, it was written in January by Chris McCoskey of the Detroit News, who pointed out that uh, Boyd had lost 15 pounds, right? So, you know, on the first glance, big deal. Best shape of his life. You hear this all the time in spring training. Uh, but listen to this quote from Matthew Boyd, who uh, had worked with a personal trainer. We did DNA-based testing. We basically looked at my genes and found out what works for me and what doesn't work for me. I was fighting losing battles with diet stuff when I thought I was eating healthy. That's really interesting. I mean, that is clearly a little bit more than, oh, I just stopped eating cheeseburgers and I went to the gym more. And it was kind of fun. Even last year, his velocity on his fastball went up each month. It started at 88 miles an hour in April. Up, up, up. By the end of the year, it was 92.3. So when I say it had an average of 90.6, that's true, but it's also a little weird. Uh, but this year so far, it's also 90.6. But what's kind of fun is his slider. Uh, it, it used to be 86.2, and then last year it was 80.5 miles an hour, and now it is 78 miles an hour, and he is burying them. Uh, 60% of his sliders are two feet or lower at the plate. It was 49% the last two years. This is definitely a pitcher who has changed his body and his approach. I don't think he's going to the second best strikeout guy in baseball going forward. Um, but he's interesting. Whereas before I probably never paid attention to him. So that's a step forward. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's an interesting find for the, uh, for the uh, Tigers. I don't even know where he is in like his, his free agency and his arbitration clock, but uh, it seems like he's been around for a while, just kind of, you know, bouncing around. I'm always like, I wouldn't say skeptical of pitchers whose, whose slider and fastballs are so close in velocity, but I feel like, you know, the, in a weird way your margin for error is less unless it's like, it's like a, a really hard slider, so to kind of like create that that more separation, uh, that that uh, that seems uh, advised. He is uh, he has entering this year. He had two years and 136 days of service time, so he'll be a free agent for 2023. So okay. we'll have him for a few more years. Uh, it's also kind of funny. He's basically a two pitch pitcher right now. He's 50 percent fastballs up from 34 percent. He is 37% sliders uh, up from 30 last year and 12 percent two years ago. I don't know how many pitchers can like get by without velocity and with essentially two pitches but i guess it's fun to see him try yeah i guess it's, um i'm trying to think of like uh i mean 
I'm not comparing him to Clayton Kershaw. Oh, wow. But isn't, essentially what Clayton, <laughs> wow. isn't this what Clayton Kershaw's trying to do? Well, with a little bit more you know, of history, I guess. Yes, well, that too. Yeah. Uh, I had mentioned Luis Castillo. and I, Well, no, we, we mentioned Reds pitchers, I think. We no, 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 but in this list of top okay. five, I just mentioned Luis yes. Castillo. And I'm pretty sure we've gone through this with him before, but it's too funny to not talk about it again. Do you remember how the Rays got Luis Castillo, like his career path? He was signed as a minor league free agent by the Giants back in 2011. In 2014, he was traded to the Marlins for, and I'm going to give the listeners five seconds to try to think about this. You will never, ever, ever guess this. Casey McGeehee, not a name we talk about too much. Uh, in 2016, the Marlins tried very badly to trade him to the Padres. This was the whole Teron Guerrero, Colin Ray, Andrew Kashner trade that sort of fell apart because Colin Ray got hurt, and he ended up being returned to the Padres, excuse me, to the Marlins, who then traded him for Dan Straley, who the Marlins just cut like two months ago. It's been a ride, <laughs> man. Uh, and when he was a rookie in 2016, he was actually pretty good. He got some down ballot uh, rookie of the year support. 2017. Uh, excuse me, 2017. He was eighth in the rookie of the year that year. Uh, had a 3.12 ERA in 15 games started last year. A little bit of a step back, a 4.30 ERA this year. As I said, he has the second best expected weighted on base behind only Blake Snell. And it's not just about the advanced metrics. Uh, in four games, he has a 1.46 ERA. That's really good. A 33% strikeout rate. That's really good. A 14% walk rate. That's not so good. That's actually kind of high and a little bit concerning. Um, but it, it's kind of interesting, too. He has changed his ground ball rate is up big from 48 to 61 percent. He has more than doubled his weak contact percentage and zero ba- barrels. That was what was killing him last year. The barrels. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he pitched, he pitched uh, pretty well against the Dodgers last yeah, night. And they, w- they would have had the win if not for uh, Rasiel Iglesias. Uh, giving up a walk-off home run to uh, Jack Peterson. but uh, I, I can see which one of us stayed up to watch the end of that game because it wasn't me. <laughs> I saw the, I definitely definitely was not me either, but I saw the uh, saw the highlights this morning. I was watching the beginning, beginning part of that game with uh, Puig taking Kershaw deep. Which was, was awesome. That was kind of cool and kind of totally predictable. but uh, It was, but it was a great moment. It was a very cool a- moment. After Puig sort of no-showed his own press conference, which I enjoyed, I have to say. And then, of course, although in the game, also Luis Castillo hit a bloop single to right and forgot to run and got thrown out. <laughs> well, never mind. I take back everything I have to say. But no, he's, I mean, it's we're seeing the guy that we sort of expected last season and started to show himself in the second half of last year, right? And um, the Reds are sort of a weird team that probably is going to end up, you know, they, they kind of tried this offseason and got a lot of credit for it, but they're probably going to end up having... Five and ten right now. Um they're going to have some interesting trade pieces because they have all these guys who are going to – Puig is going to be a free agent. Sonny Gray is going to be a free agent. No, uh, no, no. They, they extended Sonny Gray. Oh, I forgot. They but, I, but I can tell you that uh, if Yasiel Puig is not wearing a Cleveland uniform by July 31st, I don't know what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, Iglesias has a very reasonable contract. I think a lot of contenders could who don't want to pay for Craig Kimbrell could trade a prospect to get him because he's getting – he's signed for two more years after this at like you know like eight million a year and for a rebuilding team they don't necessarily really need a, t- a player like that i think he could be a fascinating trade chip with two more years uh left on his deal after after this one but at least they do castillo is a is a theoretical building block yeah uh he's he's really improved his, himself against lefties uh last year lefties kind of crushed him a 530 slugging this year so far obviously crazy early uh they have a 103 slugging against him and that is partially due to increased changeup usage the changeup uh looked really good especially against christian yelich recently let's talk about a couple of mets that i think we probably talked about jd davis like two years ago when he showed up as a oh that's just what it was right so he had elite exit velocity in the air but he also showed up as having crazy arm strength 
So we were like desperate for him to be a two-way player. And he had been a two-way player in college at Cal State Fullerton, Fullerton and I think he pitched a couple of times for um, the yeah, Astros sure. last yeah. year. Yeah. And there was some talk that like you know the Astros being this forward-thinking organization that they might you know with Marvin Gonzalez leaving that maybe they would keep um, JD Davis around uh, as like utility man slash you know pitcher you know like, like every team talks about every year but hasn't no one's really done yet successfully yeah. so i think mets fans sort of hated that trade and that's partially because uh the the prospects the astros got were relatively well regarded i'm not familiar they, they weren't them. like elite prospects but they were like good and interesting like well, Luis, I, like Luis santana was like a, a a short second baseman who hit like 350 in the appy league last year at the age of like 18 so it was like you know he was young for his league and raked so there's this idea that like you know guys who you know young for the league who perform it's usually a pretty good indicator i think it's also uh just like if the astros are sniffing around some of your low-level guys it's a different feeling than if like you know the marlins or the mariners are like oh if the astros want these guys i should probably think twice about giving them up so it was within with that context that the you know the mets made this trade and jd davis first week of the season the mets were putting him in have been putting him in the lineup pretty regularly especially with jed lowry hurt and he had a couple of defensive miscues at third he does not look very good at third and the first week of the season he was hitting the ball very hard, but he was hitting the ball on the ground. So through the first, through April fifth, uh, uh, basically the first eight days of the season, he had nine hard hit balls. Only two of those were line drives or fly balls. Since then, he has nine hard hit balls. Eight of them are line drives or fly balls. That's great. And as a result, he is fifth in the majors in expected weighted on base, and has has really been a kind of a revelation for the Mets. Like he's actually out in terms of expected expected outcomes, he's actually outperforming Pete Alonso, who's been all the rage really? this season. Um, didn't, didn't Davis get off to a bit of a rough sta- uh, start with Mets fans because of just some defensive mistakes? Yeah, it was, it, was, yeah. it was a couple of defensive plays. And then he was also he kept hitting the ball hard, but hitting it right in the ground. Um, but he had a two-homer game the, uh, against, I guess, the Nationals uh, on April 6th. And since then, starting that day, he's essentially he's been he's been basically their best hitter. And what's also interesting, you talked about this a little earlier uh, about Franmil, he's not really striking out. Um, he's got a 17% strikeout rate, which is basically the lowest among the re- regulars. You know, you know, nine nine walks and eight strikeouts. Yeah, I mean, Pete Alonso. Granted, he's the kind of guy you expect to strike out a lot, and we're going to talk about him a little more. Striking out 31% of the time. But JD Davis. I mean, the thing is, last year at Fresno, he hit 342, 406, 583 with 17 homers and 377 plate appearances. So he was a big AAA performer. Who, anecdotally, because we don't have access to. Uh, direct access to TrackMan data in the minor league parks, hit the ball hard. And then, of course, he came up to the majors with the Astros, and he was not good. His line was 175, 248, 223. However, there was a little bit of signal there in the sense that he had a huge gap between his expected weighted on base and his actual weighted on base. Granted, his expected weighted on base of 299 was not good. It's still below average. But his actual weighted on base was uh, 210 or 218. So it was uh, a huge huge difference and what he was doing like last year he was hitting the ball on the ground his average launch angle was 8.8 degrees this year it's 16.1 degrees so he's hitting the ball hard and he's hitting in the air and he's been really good and wasn't this the entire point of the Mets offseason because he wasn't probably supposed to be on the opening day lineup and play this much no right because because like Lowry who I kind of forgot was a Met until literally just right now got hurt Frazier has been hurt and it's the whole point is that when you need somebody else, it's somebody like this, and not you know Jose Reyes or Jose Bautista playing third base. Yeah, and I mean the the if if Lowry and Frazier have been healthy to start the year, I'm pretty sure he'd be in, he would he would start the minors because he has minor league options remaining. The way he's playing, I mean Frazier's supposed to come back this week or something, and I think Davis is going to be getting more playing time than than Frazier, especially if he 
if he keeps hitting, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, the Mets made a bunch of free agent signings this offseason, and they've been pretty disastrous. Uh, Jed Lowry hasn't played. Robbie Cano Mi- hitting 185, well, well, 243, 320. Well, that was a trade, at least Diaz. Oh, okay, fine, Diaz fine. But the free agent signings are Jerry's familiar, who's been a disaster. Terrible. Uh, Jed Lowry hasn't played. Uh, Ramos has been okay, like league average, but no power. And Justin Wilson's been pretty bad. Yeah. But JD Davis, the you know the much criticized trade, has been a key to the key key to the team. And then of course there's Pete Alonso, who has been one of the biggest stories he in is. baseball. And I'll just you know I'll I'll give you one Pete Alonso stat, which is that he leads the league in barrels, which is the stat cast metric for basically like really hard hit ball destined to be an extra base hit he is i'm sorry for laughing i got distracted looking at jason vargas's stat line he's allowed 19 hits per nine <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't mean to distract from pete alonzo who has uh, objectively been really good uh he's hitting right now 339 418 763 with six home runs we don't really have a a measure for you know impressive looking home runs but his home runs are fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the two he's hit the center dead center one in Miami, which is first one of the year, and then the one he hit in Atlanta that went to the pool right above the batter's eye the other night. Uh, you don't really get more impressive looking home runs than that. Basically, like 115, 118 miles an hour off the bat to dead center field, 450 feet away. But yeah, as I was saying, he has 12 barrels, um, which leads the majors. Uh, Chris Davis has 11. Rendon has 11, Gary Sanchez has 10, and Christian Yelich, Christian Yelich, who basically hits two homers every night, has nine. He told uh, Adam McAlvey yesterday that he thinks he was having a bad season. Yes. <laughs> what a monster. Um, uh, Pete Alonso so far is 95th percentile in exit velocity, 98th in hard hit, 95th in expected weighted on base, 96th in expected slugging, and 92nd in expected batting average. And we all expected his flaw would be on defense. And, you know, he's not a gold glover, but that hasn't really popped up that much as far as I'm aware. He's been fine. Like, I'm sure there will be a day when that comes. I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, he's, he's, I mean, he's clearly the first baseman now and clearly one of the most, you know, one of the more exciting players that the, uh, on the on the offensive side, the Mets have, have brought up in a while. Um, there, the Mets since Statcast began in 2015, their their quote the team quote unquote record for barrels in a season is uh, is 39 by Lucas Duda in 2015. In 2015, Alonzo already has 12. He could beat that by the All Star break. <laughs> Does that say more about him or the Mets? I'm not a little, so sure. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious now in the our preseason balloting. I'm pretty sure I had selected Fernando Tatis as my NL Rookie of the Year, whereas uh, most of our colleagues I think went with Pete Alonzo. And I'm um, not saying I'm regretting it because Tatis looks really good, but I'm rethinking it now. Or maybe Victor Robles, a lot of people had as well. I mean, I had uh, Alonzo just because I thought that he would, once it was clear he was going to make the roster, I figured he's going to play every day. And even if he's not that good, he'll hit 30 homers, which I think is, you know, if he's healthy, he's probably due. And, you know, I don't expect him to maintain the 204 weighted runs created plus. You know, the strikeout rate is definitely on the high side, but he is walking. And when you, I mean, when you hit the ball that hard, and he also does spray the ball pretty well, so it's not like he's a guy you can. Uh, he's had a couple op- opposite field home runs already. Um, he's not someone that you know is necessarily easy to quant- shift again. At least, at least not just yet. Uh, the the makings of like a, an impact batter, obviously there. He has a sixty percent hard hit rate, which uh, the major league average is thirty seven percent. I think that's like top five right now. And his strikeout rate is thirty one percent, which is high, but it's not unmanageably high. You know, Joey Gallo is at thirty five percent right now. Um, and which, as a quick aside, I've heard Ranger fans are freaking out about Joey Gallo. 
who cares about his batting average? He's having an incredible year. I think Joey Gallo is learning plate discipline. He's crushing the ball. I mean, the home run he hit last night. Oh, like, man. Line drive into the second deck. Like, yeah. Imagine you're just like sitting there in the second deck like, oh, I sit here. There's no way the ball's coming here. Not only is it coming here, it's coming I mean, at hot. me. <laughs> it's uh, he, he just kind of have to take him for what he is, right? Just, yeah. this, is, this is the player that he is. Just it's they, Players like that can be frustrating, but he's uh, – so much fun to watch. He's a good. He's a productive player. Like Joey Gallo was not your problem, Rangers fan. Can we get so the last two guys we've talked about, Pete Alonso and Joey Gallo? Can we please get them both in the home run derby? That's like all I want out of life. I, Gallo, I mean, when they when they announced the uh, the new prize of like a million bucks, he was like, "I'm in." Great, you know, great. And you know, a guy like Pete Alonso, right? He's you know, he got a modest. He was a second round pick. He got a modest. That's, signing. that's actually a big deal. Yeah, you, know, you know, like he would he would double his 2019 salary if he wanted. Great, I want it. I'm, not only that, I th- you know, he's the kind of guy that the league will want in because he's one of like the ex- he's in a New York player and and you know one of the bigger names in the game right now. I would I'd be surprised. I would I should say I would not be surprised if he's in the home run derby even if he does not make the All Star team. Although the way he's playing now, he, he might get voted. He might get voted in. And you know, a lot of these home run derbies they try to make like special room for a hometown guy. I don't know that anybody on that Cleveland offense is someone you're putting in a home run derby. Uh, and I should say, I know where we work. We have no pull whatsoever in terms of who's in the home run derby. Uh, this is just what we want. So we can pray for that, and uh, we can enjoy some more baseball over the next few days. This is our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StackCast podcast. Thanks for listening.